Brappingtonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is my super green, Corbin Dallas, my man, Corbin Dallas, my man, go the fire, man, go the corner, go super green, Mr. Shaheen Alvandi! <laughs> did you record that i did oh jimmy christmas <laughs> super green super green come on man i got a no file anybody got else no want to negotiate man. i gotta watch that movie again it's been a good, so good year now for me i think so good skinny chris tucker it's uh wow really skinny he he skinny everybody he really. got bigger yeah he did <laughs> he got a lot bigger as a as hashtag team man would uh say he'd been eating a bit of what he likes <laughs> look at that little fatty walking around with his belly <laughs> Why don't you do better? Why don't you, it's a lifestyle, you know. It's a lifestyle change. It's a choice. You're choosing to do it. <laughs> no, don't be a dick to anyone. Don't body shame people. Rude. We went car shopping today. Yeah, I was like, like, I, like, normally we have the podcast. I go like, Shaheen, I haven't seen you in a week. Or, usually it's more than a week. Let's be fair. Yeah. Shaheen, I haven't seen you in two months. What have you been doing? How have you, how have you been? Have you been? Tell, me, you. You tell me the things you've been doing. I just saw you. I literally, I literally had to call you or text you and be like, don't come over immediately. Yeah, I, it I hasn't some been time. enough time. I need some space, man. <laughs> I needed to like take a shower. And it actually worked out well because I was I was doing track bike prep stuff stuff because I'm gonna go do track bike. You're gonna do stuff. A track day. You're gonna take my trailer. I'm gonna take your trailer. Go do track day. Throw things. the old triple nine hog down to T Hill. I don't know why I'm not going to that. I don't know why you're not going to that either. It seems like a goddamn shame. But um, it's kind of a, it's kind of a special occasion. It's um. A little bit sad, but also, you know, nice. My, my best friend's brother had passed away two years ago. That was his favorite track. Wait, your, your what? My other best friend. Okay. Jesus. We're like, we could be each other's best friends. Could, it could be like a tri-friendery. It's a Venn diagram It's like a, it's of like a Harry friends. Potter, Hermione, <laughs> Ron Weasley friendship. You know, in those movies, I was surprised that it wasn't Harry Potter and Hermione. I didn't realize there was a different, like, I don't know. I don't understand how we wrote that shit, but anyways, uh, it's, it's his late brother's favorite track mm-hmm. and he owns his late brother's Panigale 1299S. Mm-hmm. And so he's always wanted to go ride his, his uh, brother's favorite bike at his brother's favorite track. So that's great. Off we go to T Hill. Uh, our brappy little stepsister has been giving me some coaching on the lines at T Hill. Mm-hmm. A lot of off camber bullshit going on over there. Not a lot. Well, there's that one funky turn. Like there's turn one, five. There's one funky turn that's got some turn three is is, is off camber and you want to stay as close to the curve as you uh-huh. as you can. Uh-huh. That that's safety. Uh-huh. Uh, what catches a lot of people out is what do they call it the cyclone. The cyclone turn five. You try as hard as you can, your foot will not hit that curb. Just just trust me <laughs> on this. Just trust me. You will not hit that curb. I would generally say stay off all the curbs. Uh-huh. They're all a little slippery. Yeah, they look at. Uh, look for the water tower when you're coming over the the wheelie hill, uh-huh. and uh, have fun. That's a great track. Yeah, that's, it. that's all I'm gonna it's do. One of my favorite tracks. I uh, I put on uh, not everyone's favorite tire, the Q4s, because we had a set laying around the shop. Not a bad tire. I think it'd be all right. Not a, not my I pick. I don't, but not, a, not a bad here's tire. The thing I haven't done a track day in three years, so it's I don't not think your I'm gonna stupid tractor tire. Yeah, it's it's I'm used to you know. Uh, hold on, I got to tell you a story <laughs> about that here in a second. Um, I'm used to weird tires. I think at this point. And uh, the old, the old uh, hog in the nine 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 is, you know, she's a bit of a, she's like me, a little chunky, kind of quick, but a little chunky. 
and uh, I feel like it'll eat through whatever the fuck tires I put on it. <laughs> it just it just turns them to mush. Now, the truth of it is, I haven't done a track day since September nineteenth, two thousand and nineteen, which is a long ass time. Really? Ah, yeah. And I was at like a quick A group pace at that period, but I haven't done a track day in this long. So I signed up for the B minus group. That's fair. Um, so if I put a knee on the ground this next weekend, I'll be so impressed with myself. Yeah. Okay. Just, get, just ease into it. Yeah. Brand new suit. Still I got a, a rabbit I'm going to put on. You got an airbag? I got an airbag. Okay, good. Yep. Um, yeah, just got to go and uh, try my best to not make a fool out of myself. Just go easy. Just take it easy, okay? You got warmers? You're going to run warmers? Nah. I mean, you, I do have them. You, but you want some? Huh? No, you I have set. Okay. I'm, just, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm very worried about you. I don't know why. I feel like you're, you're, you're totally capable of this. I don't know why I'm very concerned. This is the same Jensen that gives me warnings every time I ride your Street Fighter. Now, remember, Shaheen, this does not have ABS or traction control. It's because the Street Fighter is a fucking terrifying <laughs> motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> the Street Fighter, and you know what the funny thing is? Like, the two bikes that, like, really get my radar up in terms of, like, this is a motorcycle you have to respect. Was the other one Desmo Sedici? No. Really? Um, the Modus V4. Oh, absolutely. The the MST V4. Yeah. That thing, same same thing. About 150 yep. horsepower, yep. a lot of lot of torque, no fucking electronics. Yep. Totally capable of just because it's an upright comfy bike, you don't really expect it to, but totally capable of just spitting you up yep. and chewing you out. I don't I, think that's the actual phrase, but it's that's pretty close. I think it's pretty close. I think it I think it conveys the message and dear listener if you are thinking about buying one of those a get it b just mind the bike it's there to just turn everything into mincemeat i love that bike so much you're talking about the motos or the street fighter both okay <laughs> and also the desmos Adichis, i was bringing that one up but i feel like the motos or a street See, fighter the, are easier the, to get a desmo you sit there and like this is a this is a super bike. This is a MotoGP replica. I'm gonna be like on the track. I got my leathers. Like it, it's physically intimidating enough that you're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta mind my p's and q's. Yep. Or it's like a Street Fighter. It's just a, it's just a street you're bike. Right, you're fine. It's just a motor. Mot it's just a sport tour. Well, at least it's probably, called a Street it Fighter. Have, it could have bags on it and it's got a windscreen and like a Corbin seat on it. Like looks like a Yamaha FJR. But yeah, like, you, don't, to murder you don't you. expect it to be this fire breathing ball eater. It I'm, is. I wish those guys were still around. I mean, they, they are. I mean, I wish they like, were still the, the guys are still around. Yeah, but I wish they were still. making bikes as those guys. Me too. A couple of things coming up pretty soon. I'm pretty excited about A is this track day. I'm mostly a ball of nerves about it, by the way. You're fine. I think I'll be fine. Half of the Omer group is going to be yeah, down there, well, so I'll, I'll probably grab Alex Taylor and be like, "Hey, do you mind towing me, but like fifty percent of your pace, please?" Yeah. Um, our our dear friend slash listener Ryan from uh, Feel Like a Pro, I think he's going to mm -hmm. be down there, mm -hmm. so I'll probably be chasing him around as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then uh, MotoGP, MotoGP, that's coming up in like no time at all. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be there. I don't think you are either. It makes me sad. I don't think I don't think it's gonna work out. I I'm still holding hope. I don't think it's gonna happen. I'm holding hope. I think we would have known by now. I'm a blind optimist. Uh, yeah, but the paddock is pretty closed off. I don't think you can get to teams. I don't think you can do any uh, uh garage tours. I'm not sure if riders are doing like autograph sessions or anything. Let's see if Gigi will let me into the Ducati paddock. That'd be <laughs> amazing if that actually works. <laughs> like I'm talking all kinds of shit here. Talk to Luigi. See if, what's if up. You, if you see me waving from next to Gigi. Yeah. 
So Jensen, I did it. I don't know how, but I'm here. I'll do the thing. <laughs> um, Talk to somebody. TB, about TBD. TBD's nuts. Um, oh, that's old school. D's nuts. I don't think I've said that in a long time. <laughs> Yo, man, how much man D? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because I know a friend of mine from college is listening right now. And he's going right. He's listening in his car going, D's nuts. <laughs> and I just know it. I just, I just. It doesn't ever just, get old for me. I can I'm just sorry. Hear it. <laughs> Good times. Um, I just got back from uh, Salem picking up the Husky. I finally have a working Husqvarna SMR nice. 511. It looked, it looked whole. Looks good. Everything's Runs, there. Does all the thing. Levers are in place. All the bolts are bolted down. Bolts are there. All the brake lights work. Tires look like that air in them. Still got the same grips on it. You know? <laughs> grips are grippy. Grips are grippy. <laughs> um, it starts. It doesn't stall. It's great. This is, this is a bike ready for like adventure. Nine months to get there, but it's great. Listen, good things come to those who wait or some shit like that. Bill's Motorcycle Plus. Highly recommend. Well, high five, Bill. Highly recommend. In Salem. Which is supposed to be like one of the best one of the best dealerships, dealerships ever. Yeah, definitely the best on the West Coast in Salem, Oregon. In Salem, Oregon, well, which places. is like not my favorite city and, at and all. It's but. a total mom and pop kind of shop. Like it's not like this big brick and mortar deal, but they do Husky Gas Gas. Do they do something else? I just think it's just Husky and Gas Gas. Oh, I like it, but yeah, they're fantastic. They they know their they know their Huskies really well. That's awesome. Um, what'd you do last night? Oh yeah. Last night, last night, um, I saw some friends. I went down. Saw a couple of peeps. Everybody knows your name. It's like the, you guys are like, the motocross is like the cheers of the motorcycle industry. Hey, it's Jensen. Hey, Norm. Uh, yeah, no, you guys had the, what is it? Ride for Red, Ready for, ready red, for red. Yeah, Ready, ready for, for Red, red 2022. I don't, I don't, I didn't RSVP for it. I apologize, but I, mean, I just showed up. You are VIP. I don't know about that. I know where the back entrance is, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, so that's like Ducati's tour of its 2022 models. Ducati North America CEO Jason Chinook was there. I got to talk to him a bit. Um, the big the big marquee item is we got to see the Desert X. Right. Which looks pretty okay. It looks pretty okay. Looks it looks, pretty it okay. looks a lot more svelte, I think. It, it looks svelte. It felt svelte. Um, I think Ducati did a pretty good job. This was a pre-production mm-hmm. bike. Jason was pointing out all the non-production items all that are the, on all it the 3d printed shit on yeah, there yeah and like they're like there's like this like beautiful billet cnc like bracket thing i was like well that looks really good he's like that's a cast part that's <laughs> not real <laughs> that's not that's not gonna be on the thing I'm like oh i don't really like In fact, that don't touch it don't even look at it um but it looks good it's a good looking bike uh looks like it's gonna do the things can't wait to ride it in june i think is when yeah. we're doing it so that's a long time away you know um but yeah, it seemed like a really positive response to it, which is cool. Um, I think Ducati is going to do well with that one. I think so too. We've taken so many deposits on that bike, so many. It, it's got a good, and I, like I, I, I'm trying to have some thoughts here because it's going to go head to head with bikes like the KTM 890, Tenere mm-hmm. um, 700, the Aprilia Touareg 660. It's an interesting space of motorcycle. Tri- Triumph, Tiger 900, Tiger 900 maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah F850. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, definitely feels more premium than a lot of those bikes. Well, and that's an interesting thing to see in that space. Hmm. The pricing, the performance. I don't think like the hardcore like dirt bike dirt guys 
are going to be into that. I think they're going to be more towards like a Tenere 700 or a KTM. But like, I think the people looking for more features, it's got, it's, it just, it's a Ducati. It feels like a Ducati. Right. I think that's the part that I'm trying to to say here is like, it's got that Ducati polish that is missing from a lot of other brands. I don't know if that is something that's as important in the ADV space as say like the sport bike or street bike space, but I like that it's there. It's a very Ducati interpretation of this motorcycle. I think that the people that are buying that marquee are usually looking for that level. So I think it, it needs Absolutely. to kind of fit that specific niche. Absolutely. Because like it's true to the brand. That's why I say that. Like it's right. a very Ducati thing. Like they were true to the Ducati yeah. brand and that interpretation. I think I think my hope and probably, you know, DMH in general probably hopes that the people that are buying it are gonna go ride the shit out of it and have all kinds of cool content of them out in the dirt and the mud and the deserts and the whatever doing the thing so <clears throat> it'll be cool to have that juxtaposition of like a really well polished bike that's actually being used the way it's supposed to be because mm-hmm. um, the price tag definitely is going to show the what the bike is mm-hmm. right it's not the it's not the cheapest in its category by a long shot was it like 15 16 16 16 7 or something like that i think really i don't i don't disbelieve you i'm just i thought it was like 15 oh crummy 16 8 16 8 yeah so like I think it's priced more competitive. Well, not competitively, but more in line with like a BMW F F G S model. F eight fifty G S F nine hundred. There's not a nine hundred. I don't think there's a nine hundred yet, which is funny because I think all the it'll F, be there. It's coming. It's got it's got to be next year's because all of them are nine hundreds except for the G S one. That's just the world that we live in. This you're gonna have to increase displacement to right. keep power figures, and yep. we're <laughs> we we when we do model segmentation a lot of times we think in terms of displacement Mm -hmm. but the reality is it's really about horsepower right so yeah 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 see you gotta make it bigger to make it more powerful because there's no replacement for displacement yeah see it's an f850 gs adventure Mm -hmm. how much does that cost 15 as shown yeah but you and i both know when bmw says that price they don't mean it well, it's thirteen. It's thirteen five MSRP, and it's fourteen five as shown on the site. So let's just call it an even fifteen, fifteen thousand. Yeah, and then there's like a. I'm sure it's the same with BMW, but there's a huge um, bunch of option packages that you can get. Whether you want hard bag, soft bags, extended tank, uh, full exhaust, you know, the extra protection package around the thing, the Stuttgart package, the Schnitzel package, the Schnitzel package, and I love when they do like it's the uh, G. What is it like? They'll do like the M three ten package. You're like that's like a thing. Oh, it's the M three ten color package. People just know that uh, without trying at all. I just got a BMW F eight fifty GS Adventure to seventeen four. Right by so, just putting yeah. the premium package on. So okay, <laughs> it is now a premium. You win this premium. round, BMW. Take that. Actually, um, yeah. So, oh, I forgot to mention, I ran into a bunch of listeners at your event. Oh, last night. Nice. It's good to see everyone. Good to talk to everyone. Oh, yeah. Uh, really appreciated that people came up and asked how I was doing. I'm doing great. Um, the feedback from the last show was nothing but just good. absolutely the most good. positive bunch of things I've ever read in my life. We it was awesome amazing. Listeners. Y'all it's are good. amazing. It's good. Coda Kitty's doing just fine, too. Coda Kitty's okay. You know, guys, don't worry about Coda Kitty. Coda Kitty she, lost uh, half a pound. Nice. She's She's been on a little bit of a diet. She's getting a little, she's getting a little trimmed up. She's been, she's been doing good things. Did the vet say something to you? What's that? Did the vet say something to you? No, but like, she's she's a big girl. 
She is beautiful. She's lovely. She's just lovely. She is absolutely. Coda, you're, lo- don't listen to this shit, Coda. Yeah. Wherever you are, just being fat. But yeah, no, it was good to hear from the listeners um, and, and talk about, talk about Tings. Um, it felt very relevant too, because we lost Chris Pfeiffer last week. I just so shocking. To depression and, and he took his own life and that's just. It just makes it all real, man. Like I, I am, I'm sure I'm not alone in the motorcycle industry in terms of dealing with depression and, and that just kind of proves it. Um, so like I, like I said last show, like if you are having issues, if you need someone to talk to, we wrap talk at gmail.com, mm-hmm. hit us up on the social. I will literally give you my phone number and we can talk. Um, yep. I got no issues with that. Nope. We, we, we joke around about a lot of stuff. Not this. This is very serious to us. Yeah. Uh, we, we've unfortunately all felt it at a personal level, but to see someone like Chris Pfeiffer, it, it really, it stopped me in my tracks when I read that. I was like, what the fuck? Chris Pfeiffer literally put like motorcycle stunting on my radar. Yeah. Same here. Like before that, it was just kind of like stunt life forum guys dressed up like cookie monster doing stupid things on city streets wearing icon back protectors on top of t-shirts and just being one of my favorite videos was him stunting on a monster 900 and he's just wearing a three-quarter helmet and he's grinning from ear to ear the entire time yeah and it just made me go this guy i've never seen someone is the embodiment of motorcycling because i could never describe how happy i am when i'm on a motorcycle and this guy's like his face yeah is describing how i feel yeah immensely talented reach people around the world Mm mm-hmm I feel like he really legitimized stunting in a lot of ways. I agree. There's a lot of like factory back stunters. Uh, Rock Baragos comes to mind with KTM. There's a MV Augusta sponsored stunter whose name's uh, escaping me right now. But there's, you know, I feel like Chris Pfeiffer laid down that path for them, trailblazed it for yep. them. And uh, it's just a huge loss to, to the Massive industry. loss. Absolutely. It was devastating. Yeah. Especially to, again, you know, it was, it, we just talked about it, you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. damn it. Chris, it was like the next day. It was like the day called. after we recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, clear, obviously, I, I never knew him on a personal level, but still to have someone like that, that was, I think, paramount to motorcycling was a huge loss to all of us. So, as we said it before, you know, reach out to your friends. And if you need something, uh, you know, I, I believe in the idea of talking openly, but I also believe in the privacy of it. And if you need to chat, just email us. Like Jensen said, I will give you my damn phone number. You can call me and just sit there and chat with you. If you're local, come to my office, close the door. We'll have a chat. <laughs> I told one gentleman, sometimes it's easier talking to a complete stranger than yep. it is someone you know. So if that's the case, I mean, we're not entirely strangers because you know there's a podcast that comes out almost every week yeah at this point it's basically weekly it's basically weekly basically weekly um but you know sometimes that's that's that third party impartial i don't really know what's going on so tell you what you think (laughs) um moto gp unlimited on amazon prime you have seen the first episode yes i watched the first episode i'm hooked i so i the Friday before, I binged the new season of Drive to Survive, the F1 series. Oh, yeah. Three days later. You really binge watched that whole thing? Yeah, one said it. Sheesh, just, kebab. How'd gross. you do that? It's called a weekend. I'm bad uh, at that. I'm so, I need to get out of the house, man. I can't do You it. work Saturday, so that's the problem. That's true. That's fair. I started taking the weekend off. Man, what is that like? <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> um, and then MotoGP came out. I watched all of that. My thought process is it's not as good. Right. But it's first season versus fourth season. Like, right. you're going to learn some shit. Yeah, the uh, Formula One show is a lot more dramatic. 
There's a lot more pause and there's a lot of very dramatic one-on-ones. That's interesting that you say that because I think my biggest critique of MotoGP Unlimited outside of some issues of when it launched, which we'll talk about in a second, is just the amount of dead air. Yes. There's just a lot of times where no one's talking and they're just letting you, and like they've done a weird thing with the sound where they've really turned down the sound, like the ambient sounds of what they're recording. So it's just very quiet. And you're just like watching someone like lace up a shoe or something or, or like walk around the garage and fist bump their, their mechanics. I wouldn't say it's like a point. I wouldn't say it's a point in time where the video speaks for itself and you're watching like a poignant moment, just act out in front of you. It just seems like dead air. Yeah. And the amount of silence is really yeah, noticeable. Like, they need to put like some of that. Some of that like dramatic music or something. That's exactly. It either needs a voiceover or music or something on screen needs to be happening. Yeah. It's just, it just feels like filler. Did you ever see the movie, um, I want to say Hitting the Apex? Yes. Like that one had a really good narrative throughout Mm -hmm. it. Brad Pitt? Yeah, it's Brad Pitt. I mean, producer, producer Brad Pitt. Right. So I think they need, they need a little bit more of that. So when this came out for a lot of markets, there was dubbing over everyone. Right. And it was bonkers. And I think enough people yelled really quickly that Amazon quickly turned that off. So at least it was just an option. Okay. Um, I watched the 1080p version. I didn't have any dubbing. I don't have a 4K TV, so I don't watch the 4K. You do, though. I do. I'd be curious if you watch it now because... I'll put it on. Just I'll watch it. So I've only watched one episode. So I'm going to put on the second episode. Yeah in 4k just to see if it's like that because i heard the dubbing is horrible because by the time i got to it i I didn't watch it that morning i watched it that evening by the time i got to it all the dubbing was off oh cool okay but i would be curious to see because a lot of people were complaining about the dubbing and i think rightfully so there is a lot of subtitles that's that's the one other thing because they're speaking so many languages there's italian there's spanish there's portuguese there's catalan catalan yeah there's everything one of the big things that um my my friends at the paddock pass uh, covered already was you know in formula one english is the working language of the paddock right that is not the case in MotoGP. the working language is either spanish right. italian or catalan there is a bit of english in it but you can tell there's a bit it's not every team and 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 the more stark thing is is that a lot of the riders don't actually speak very good english right um most of them know like motorcycle english right I push very hard. I take the win. It's very good. I'm very happy. But they don't know how to express themselves eloquently in English. No, not naturally and everything. Yeah. So, you know, the producers had to make that choice of, of doing subtitles. So that's one of the hard things. Like, you do have to very much, like, pay attention because you have to read the subtitles. Right. It's not so much a show you can just, like, have on in the background, which I feel like Drive to Survive kind of is. Well, again, if they had a good narrator, though, that was kind of filling the gaps. Well, that's the other thing. easier. That's interesting is like they had a lot of journalists on to like stitch the things together. Right. But even the journalists were in their native language. <laughs> it's true. So it's like you had this opportunity where like you could have really had like a very English forward presentation and then you just have the writers and the and the managers talking in their native language. But even the journalists, like there was only like they had Matthew Burt and um uh Dylan Do they have Dylan? Dylan Gray. Boop Dylan. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. Like they had them talking, but then they also had, um, you know, an Italian and a Spanish journalist and they were speaking their native languages. So it's interesting to see like kind of the choices there. And 
that makes it interesting in the sense like like drive to survive like if you were to pick apart like the analysis like the big what why is this a big deal drive for survive came out and it was immensely popular in the u.s market mm-hmm. there was a 40 percent increase in attendance at the american grand prix that's a big that they're directly attributing to drive for survive coming out on netflix amazon has a similar reach and and viewership um especially in the united states it's a very american-centric service right um just because amazon's not as prevalent in in europe and asia as it is here i feel like everyone in america has an amazon prime account but what what is interesting is so like you have this like turnkey audience this f1 audience that is being told okay this date this date this date this date it's going to come on the service you should go watch it and so you know 100 million f1 fans around the world on the same day show up and watch it right netflix's algorithm sees a huge spike hey 100 million people just watched this show this show is hot it's trending recommend it push it right which then gets into the mainstream like hey this is a trending show you should watch it you hey you watch you know rush or you watch top gear you watch whatever it was you're you watch cars on disney (laughs) so you must be into f1 anything right right. and then it just it like becomes like its own you know snowball going down the hill and that that's what made drive to survive mainstream and 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 reach this huge audience the hope was that motor gp would have the same moment with MotoGP Unlimited. And then like right out of the gate, they fuck it up and everyone's like, oh yeah, don't bother watching it. I know. It's not good. The dubbing's horrible. It's ruined it. And that, for me, I think that took away all the momentum and any of its hope of it being a recommended thing because it didn't have that everyone watching at the same time moment that that Drive to Survive did. It's so funny you bring that up because the thing that I was kind of complaining about to Anne when I put it on was that I had to look for it. Like Amazon knows that I watch a lot of Top Gear and a lot of, you know, Grand Tour and all these different car things. And it never recommended it to me. It just was like not even in my ethos. So that's something I've heard from other people too. And it was the same for me. And I will rebuttal with this. Amazon Prime's algorithm, I feel, is vastly inferior to Netflix's. I think you're right. And the way their app works, like that, their app really doesn't recommend things to me. Not really. That I, I feel, feel like are any, can, in any way personalized. I think you're right, unfortunately, because, you know, to me, it's like, well, as someone who watches just nothing but I'm either watching action flicks or car motorcycle content. Uh-huh. And it's like, I guess they never. Yeah, you're right. If, if, if it couldn't show me that this is something I might be interested in or have it on the very top of my suggested list then I'm not the only one. And there is millions of other people who they're just simply not seeing it. And it's interesting because when you look it up immediately, it's got like only three and a half stars. And when I watched it, I mean, maybe because I'm riveted by the subject matter. I think it's super cool to, be, to have this, you know, insider view of these people. I've watched the drive to survive series. First of all, it has a way more catchy name than Moto GP <laughs> unlimited. unlimited Moto GP TM unlimited. Right. Just like and it's like, guys, we get it. We know what it is. But if you're trying to appeal to a larger crowd, make it more appealing to a larger crowd. Yeah. You know, so. But again, after watching the first episode, I got hooked. I was like, this is actually really cool. I'm, I'm way into it. I'm wanna, I want to watch the rest of it. It's totally watchable. Completely. Totally good. And a couple of uh, listeners watched it since we talked about it. And all of them were like, this is fucking awesome. I'm really glad for it. B plus, A minus in my book. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So. 
Great show. I think the execution obviously can get better and I think they will continue, hopefully continue to improve on it. But I do feel like the presentation of it to the masses is sort of lacking because yours truly who watches nothing but content like that had to literally go on Amazon search bar and type in M-O-T-O-G-P and then yeah. it came up. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's a couple things going on there. One, I know how difficult it is to work with Dorna. Um, they're for a media company <laughs> that they are at their core. They are a media company, right? They don't understand media in the 21st century at all. I can just tell you that straight up. They're, they're impossible to deal with. That's sometimes. funny. Just absolutely impossible to deal with. And the way I'm going to say Iberian companies, Mediterranean companies do business is very different than say the way Americans or Brits do business. Um, so things just usually don't work the first time around. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's fair. Um, that's why you don't buy Italian cars. Because <laughs> uh, they never worked the first time around? <laughs> they never worked the first time around. <laughs> um, I still want one of those Alfa Romeos. Yeah, well, horrible decision. Um, <laughs> but the audience, the, the size of MotoGP, like, I mean, like, just my, my TV's covered, so I can't, like, make this example. But, like, if I turn my Amazon Prime account on and like the there's probably on that start screen maybe 20 titles it's going to offer me uh the first row is like amazon originals but like they're like marquee ones right. you know so those are like ones that like maybe a billion literally probably a billion people right are watching right now MotoGP is just never going to crack that we just don't we we have a tenth of the the audience that f1 has just in terms of fans right and that was the f1 effect where it's like there are enough f1 fans in the world that if all of them watch f1 drive to survive at the same time it's a big enough thing that it can, it can spike down. the algorithm right whereas like i don't think MotoGP is ever gonna do that and when you botch kind of like the launch and that there's a lot of negative press about it coming out of the gate that just kills that effect completely yeah yeah i i, I and i and it's again i hate to say it but i i understand the negative press about it oh for sure but as someone who's just really infatuated with the sport it was like this is fucking cool like i got to see we got to watch Mark Marquez cry, right? Like we got to see the human side of him for a split second because to a lot of watches, they're like, this guy's a fucking bully on the road, on the plays and he just pushes things around, blah, blah, blah. But like we got to see a guy who's dealing with a broken fucking arm and so, who was at the top of his game and got fucking like tumbled. Yeah. And it took him a long time to get back to it and have to deal with the emotional and the psychological effect of it. And so you never get to really see stuff like that. And that's super important to be able to see it. So just, you know, those little tidbits are what excite someone like me because we don't ever get a chance to see the inside of that big machine, right? Whether it's Formula One or MotoGP or, or anything. That's why a lot of people like doing factory tours of places to kind of see how the thing is made. Yeah. And this is such a big chance for, you know, the people to see the cogs and how it turns and how it's done and the emotions and the 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 mental you know exercises these people have to do to be at the level that they're at and the teamwork that it takes to be there so i really i a hope that they make the production a little bit more um fine-tuned like the drives to survive folks have done and b i i hope that it gets enough viewership so that it kind of gets pushed towards the top um because it's such a cool show and i feel like it could have that effect to the mo at least to the american MotoGP. Uh, fanship. I think it could help it grow. Homework for you. Okay. 
I want you to sit down with Team Anne and watch it and see how interested she is in a series like that. And I want to do that the same with 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 my lady friend. Okay. Anne's more of a motorcyclist. My, my lady friend doesn't ride motorcycles at all. So okay. she would come into it purely from like, is this entertaining or not? Anne right. at least has like, <clears throat> I like motorcycles. I know who Mark Marquez is. Sense of it. Right. But I, that's where I feel like the value of the show is. Is it going to be like Drives to Survive where it's going to p- hit the the trending meter on Netflix and like hit this huge mass market? No. I think that expectation was always unreasonable. Right. But the value of this series, other than entertaining MotoGP and motorcycle fans around the world, is that I do think it is probably approachable enough that it's something that you can watch with a non-MotoGP fan, friend, or family member, and that'll help get them hooked into the show. Because now they're seeing the story about Fabio Quattro. Now they're seeing the stories about Mark Marquez. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, these are interesting people. Oh, the season the season just started. I can now watch some of these races, and I kind of know the backstory, and now I've got like a little skin yeah, in the game. You're getting to know those people. I do think there's a little bit of like, this is a good tool to onboard more fans and it's happening at the home whereas like movies like like you mentioned hitting the apex mm-hmm. or faster or or any of those those kind of movies the, the was it the doctor the tornado and the kentucky kids right um those were those were movies and you kind of had to like buy the dvd or see it in a theater and that's a little right. bit tougher in a, like a 1990s early 2000 media sort of way where it's like the streaming environment it's like what do you want to watch tonight i don't know you want to watch like you want to binge watch this series with me like like first episode kind of hooks you and then you want to watch the other you know eight episodes to see how it how it finishes out like i do think it's going to create more fans and and there's already going to be a season two and season two has that opportunity now the kinks have been ironed out a little bit to have a little bit more spike in the algorithm i'll say this much team Anne watched that first episode with me okay okay she did um typically when i'm watching something that's car or motorcycle related and zones out and she starts reading like her vogue magazine or you know gets on twitter and just goes through you know reading stuff on twitter but what she will do from time to time is she'll look up and pay attention to about four or five minutes and it's typically because i'm having a reaction to something Mm. and so um i don't feel like i'm giving anything away because we anyone that's listening to this probably watches MotoGP and knows that marquez broke his arm last year um or year before just about everyone loses that season just what everyone lost that season exactly everyone. except for one guy like except basically for, everyone else lost so it's crazy how it works yeah. um but there is that whole thing because she saw my like she saw my physical reaction i kind of sat up and i started watching you know it's it's him talking about you know putting on the suit and the whole the team manager kind of talks about it a little bit and how it's going and you know he finished that first race at seventh place and uh, you know, the, the team manager's like, all right, when he comes in, everybody clap for him and just, you know, try to make mm-hmm. him feel better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he did the thing. And I remember seeing that originally back in the day. And then to see it again, it kind of got me sitting upright because I was really curious, are they really going to go into the paddock? Like, are we going to actually see the real reaction of what was going on? And you got to see it. You got to see Mark taking his helmet off after he kind of like, he was kind of like waved, hug people and thank them and kind of waved them off. You could tell he's about to have a moment. And they captured that moment. They mm-hmm. they did a really good job of like like this guy just put his hand, you know his head in his hands and had a minute. And so I watched that and I kind of noticed that Anna leaned forward as well. And I look over, and she was sitting there like with tears in her eyes. Nah. I was like, okay, okay. She's like, holy shit, this is crazy. I'm like, yeah, he, this guy just went through nine months of trying to heal 
and he was at the apex. He he was the top predator in this pack. And now he is struggling and he made it to seventh place and his team is trying to rile him back up to be, you know, who he is. Granted, we're watching a 2021 uh, season, but still. So it was kind of neat to see her reaction to it and watching it and then seeing her have an emotional reaction to that very mm -hmm. emotional thing. And I think the reason I'm bringing this up is this. That, that Formula One show does a great job of sort of being a little bit overdramatic about some things, but putting the emotion into it and making the people who were otherwise not interested in, let's say, cars or racing to start out with go, hey, there's a cool emotional attachment that I can have to XYZ character in this show. And that person has now become my favorite or least char favorite character. That's how a good show works, right? If you're watching a good show, you get invested in that person's character. And I think uh the formula one show does a great job of doing that and this moto gp show is slowly kind of starting to introduce everybody to us and we're learning who they are and what their psyche is all about and who they are i, I i've only watched the first episode so i don't know if they do a better job of painting more pictures of the drama of it all because i feel like the first episode is just them introducing everybody yeah, it's kind of and and not just in everybody, but also like kind of like the sport, like qualifying is right. when they set the times, right. and that's how the grid gets set up. And you're like, yeah, okay, like I get it. It it's not so watered down that like I think a regular fan would be offended. Like I hurt you're you're talking to, like to me like <laughs> uh, I'm a goddamn child. I it, think one they of the get, they get they get through it pretty quick. I think one of the biggest mistakes the motorcycling world ever does to try and explain our our lifestyle, I guess, to the non motorcyclists is that we get too granular about it. You forget to have that emotional connection. And I hope that they do more of that as the show progresses and perhaps even more so in season two so that non-motorcyclists, non-fans of racing will go, this is cool. I'm invested in it. I want to see what happens next. And if I get a chance to go see it live, I'm gonna. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I'm, I'll tell you this. I'm excited for second season. I, I think it'll be good. Um, I think there are certain realities of the MotoGP paddock that are make it more difficult to have a success like drive to survive. I think, right. I think when you, cause like I've been there, like English speakers are a third class citizen. <laughs> uh, Dorn is extremely difficult to deal with. Some of the teams, like you just, you don't understand how like a team that has like close to like a hundred million dollar budget can just be so 1980s. And they're thinking like in terms of like <laughs> media and marketing and press and like, like things like I remember a great example. I was in Valencia 2000. Oh man, I want to say it's like 2015, but that's what year did Marco Simicelli die? That was the year I was there. 2011. <laughs> that kind of sounds right. Cause it's early day social media and Paris Hilton was had sponsored Maverick Vinales, the Moto three team that Maverick wow. Vinales was on. And she had come out to Valencia for the final round because I think Maverick was going to clinch the championship at that round. And I remember how shitty the paddock was about this and how <laughs> like, how like, oh, she's not really MotoGP. Like she doesn't even know the difference between Moto3 and MotoGP. Who gives a fuck? She's bringing she's, fucking she's viewers, bro. And I remember sitting there and being like, that woman tweeted three times from the grid, three photos with her team and da, 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 da. Right. The combined reach of those three tweets <laughs> was larger than the entire paddock 
social media presence oh, yeah. for that weekend. And that includes Valentino Rossi. That includes the <laughs> official MotoGP account. That includes all the riders in MotoGP and all the teams. And just the fact that no one understood that this was the most mainstream attention the sport had ever gotten on social media right. until you know that point in time. No one got that. No, no one got that. No. And to this day, I don't think anyone really understood stood that. And that, but that's the medieval thinking that goes on. Whereas, it's almost like, like Dorna needs a PR firm to, just to help them understand. It's just very different. <laughs> like Dorna, Dorna is very insular. Like you cannot do video. I think they're just now starting to let like riders and teams kind of slip by with like social media video stuff. Right. Whereas you go to Formula One, I think it's Liberty Media. It's like. Do whatever you want to do. You want to do live streams. You want to do a podcast while you're in a Formula One car. Like every outlet that they can jam into the media center, they will do it. Whereas like Dorn is very insular. You go into the media center at Austin. Right. And like it's just like huge, like huge room. It's ginormous. Yeah, it is. It is impressive. And there's just a sea of empty tables. Right. And and it, it is so hard from like, like the Circuit of Americas has to fight with Dorna to let American press in. And let them do their thing. And it's still like a rigmarole to get into it. And you sit there and you're like, why? There's empty tables. Yeah. You could have had so much more. Think about how much more press you could have had. Right. Like for for nothing. It cost you well, nothing. Well, Coda's looking at it like, guys, we're trying to sell tickets. And that's their thing. Coda's big thing, especially with the video, was like, you, we have to have the local news here. The local Fox, CBS, ABC, and NBC affiliates right. need to be able to come down and just do three seconds or, or something. Whatever it is, like not three seconds, but like 30 seconds worth of tape in the paddock, maybe with a rider to promote the event locally. <laughs> and like, like that, I remember that being a huge issue the first year. Like they wouldn't let them do it. And then it's like finally the other years like, Oh, okay. TV. Yeah, that works out. Cause they wanted to charge like the local stations, like $50,000 to come do it. And the stations were like, um, no, we don't, we don't no. <laughs> We don't pay you to do that. <laughs> that's usually the other way. <laughs> that, yeah. It's usually, that's not how this, that's not how this game works here. You're in America now. Things are different here. Yeah, I feel the pain. I feel the pain of those producers. I can only and imagine. The directors and I can only imagine the arguments, like just pulling their hairs, like why don't they get it? I'm I'm telling them in plain English. It's not something in my job I have to deal with on a daily basis, and it it, it is very disheartening and difficult for me to deal with. So I can only imagine what my full time colleagues have to deal oh, with. Oh God, I know a little bit of that story and that stuff. <laughs> um, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let's move on. Moving. Are we like halfway through the show? We're like two thirds of the way through the show. Good gracious. We only talked about two things. That's how it is at the Brab Talk Motorcycle Podcast. It's okay. I want to kind of bang through these bangers. He's buying us. He's buying us. He's banging, baby. What am I? So here's a weird one. This happened like right after our last show came out. The 790 Duke is back. It is. It is. Why? (laughs) Excuse me. I like the look on your face. (laughs) You just, you do like a little like shake. (laughs) But why? Um, I haven't yet seen. I'm actually getting on the website right now to see if it's on there. I don't think it's coming to America, but it's coming to the European markets and primarily as an option for their A2 licensing. They have the, you know, the tiered licensing, right? So this is the second level of that tier. It, it's coming in as a model option for that, and because like they can just detune it slightly. I think it goes from like 100 horsepower down to like 93 or huh. something like that. Uh, I'd probably say it in the story. I feel like KTM is going to have everything, every CC available from like 50 to 1290 well here's the part that's interesting so it's 95 horsepower instead of 105 um but it's coming out for nine thousand euros oh 
So it's super cheap. That's super nice. It's super cheap. Um, depending what market you're looking at in, in Europe, a seven or sorry, an 890 Duke is like 12,000 euros. That's a big, 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 big difference. So yeah. Wow. Okay. Right? All right. Well, that answered my question of why. I, I think that's. I, yeah. I was only thinking for the American market. I'm like, but why? <laughs> why is this here? You know, it'd be really funny if the American market brought. I, I don't see it on here listed. Um, but it'd be really funny out of like all the bikes that like the American market doesn't bring in, especially all the 1290s, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, bring in the 790. It makes no <laughs> sense, but okay, whatever. <laughs> we got to sell more, and uh, you guys are a big market, so I can do, do it. this. Do better. Um, I thought that was super interesting. <laughs> that is super interesting. I agree. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Honda ST125 DAX debuts for the European market. And then... Wait. And then the Honda Hawk 11 debuts for the Japanese market. And I'm just left sitting here like, where's my motherfucking American market yeah, at? Yeah, wait a minute. We don't get to have this thing? This this uh, much, much more affordable fucking Super Veloce? Which one are you looking at? the the hawk 11 Hawk 11 okay so here's the deal with the hawk 11 it came out at the osaka motorcycle show with almost no information Hmm. and they're like yeah and we'll have it at the tokyo motorcycle show like i expect more info to drop in tokyo this i mean this is a platform that is euro 5 compliant that that could meet like a it, it could easily be a world market bike we heard nothing from the American press. We heard nothing from European Why? markets. This is like, it came out and they're like, for the Japanese market, I still think we will hear something soon about it coming to other markets because I just don't see them only making this bike for Japan. But as of right now, this is a Japanese market only machine. Okay. And the DAX is only a European market machine. Okay. It's a very good Actually, I take bike. that back. The DAX might be in Japan. It might be an Asian market thing too. It's not announced for America yet. I know that. I mean, it is a good looking bike. Which one are we talking about? The the sorry, I'm still on the. You're Hawk still on 11. the Hawk Eleven. Okay, yeah. let's talk about the Hawk Eleven. You like it? So it's an Africa Twin motor, basically. Yep. Funny enough, they're calling it a 1082 cc instead of a 1084, oh. which is interesting. Don't know. Don't know why that difference is there. It could be a typo for all we know. <laughs> uh, literally, it could be a typo for all we know. Um, but it's basically an Africa twin motor, Africa twin frame, NT eleven hundred swing arm, and then they kind of just made some body work and called it good. And they did a good job at that. Um, no indication of a DCT dual dual clutch transmission, I but mean, would be hard to believe that it doesn't come right, with it. Yeah. Um, <clears> but <throat> yeah, when we're talking like a hundred horsepower, it's probably going to be like mid to high four hundreds. I think it's going to be on the heavier side, probably, just because of that engine and that architecture and that frame. But it looks it looks pretty good. Yeah. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. It's it's wild to me that it's not a US market bike yet. I bet it'll be cheap. I feel like this would be a very affordable motorcycle. I mean, this this looks like a very handsome super veloce to me, but like a much more affordable version, like half the price. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it a lot. I hope it comes here. Hmm. He's very nice. It's very, very nice. It's very, um, very nice. What else to say about this? Yeah, it's got cheap. It's got like basic LCD dash. Yeah. It's got like the basic electronics that are kind of on the Africa Twin, on the Rebel 1100. Like like that motor has proven itself to be very versatile and very compelling in just about everything they've put that that thing into. Right. 
So I feel like this is it'd be really hard for him to fuck it up. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I got I got good I got good feelings about it. Show a big piston, separate function forks. Yeah, they look adjustable. Nissan Nissan brakes. Like it just good good bang for the buck stuff. I dig it. Okay, now let's talk about the DAX and the fact that um, it's got a wiener dog on it. It's got it. a wiener dog on it. Little dash on it. I mean, I mean, this is basically like a monkey. It's like a monkey, but with a wiener dog. It's a Dex. But it's got that pressed steel monocoque frame. That's also a fuel tank. Right. It's the same engine that that is in the monkey and the super cub. Um, it's got no clutch, so pretty easy to rip around on. Right. What's the price on it? I can't remember the price off the top of my head. It's cheap. It's like three grand or whatever. Three grand euros? Yeah. So I don't know. So here's a question. Okay. Because I'm sure someone in Torrance right now is, is coming out, is asking this question. You're American Honda. You've got the monkey. You've got the Super Cub. You've got the Grom. You've got the Trail 125. Right. Do you bring this bike in? Is there enough differentiation? Is there enough space in that lineup to sell another bike that like dealers make like Fifty dollars so margin on fifty dollars on. Um, I mean, those small bikes made by Honda are all selling very, very well. They sell very well. They sell a lot of volume. Yeah, not a lot of money. A in lot that of game. money there. I mean, America. Oh, Honda is making money on there, but the dealers are not. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like as a company, you do bring them you in because because you're looking at how many of those things are just flying out the door, and so if you have another option, okay. especially an automatic one, it's essentially a scooter. Yeah, this is an anti-scooter in right. my mind. Which you is did, great. You didn't want to buy a scooter? Well, this this isn't a scooter. Right. Even though it is. Even though it doesn't it doesn't look like a scooter. It doesn't look like it's a scooter. Just, it's an anti-scooter. It doesn't step it doesn't through. look the scooter part. I'm taking that phrase. Anti-scooter. I've, I've definitely used it I like before it. in the I like past. Anti-scooter. But this I'm is an anti-scooter yep, for sure. It is. And I think it would do well. I think, yeah, if I was the company, I would totally throw half a million of those out there and watch them just fly off the shelves. Would you throw in a free dog with each purchase? Only if it's a wiener. It's really, I love that. Like the little logo, the helmet, and the <laughs> goggles. That's great. I said, this is the first time I've seen press photos with a dog in it. And I don't know why that's the case. I don't either. Take a page from Subaru's playbook and understand that, like, if you put dogs in your photos, people like kittens and puppies. I don't know what to tell you, man. A certain demographic will buy that vehicle. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. I live <laughs> in Portland. That's all I can say. How many Subarus have you seen with dogs in it in Portland? Actually, more like how many Subarus have you seen without dogs in it in Portland? Not a lot. I literally, I literally, after I dropped you off, got stuck behind this guy with the dog hanging out the window, driving 15 miles an hour down the waterfront. Because the dog was trying to smell the flowers. And I was like, you are the most Portland person ever. Like, and he's just breaking for no reason. Just there's the nothing in front of him. There's no obstacles. There's no cars. Just hitting the brakes. This is all for the dog. He was listening to the dog. The dog I, was like, hey, slow it down. I, I smelled a squirrel. I got to slow down from 15 to 10. It's getting out of control. Just, My Subaru is getting out of control. It's way fast. All Those the wheels are driving. rated for that kind of speed. Um, I did get stuck behind a Subaru Forester with a dog sticking out of it. Oh, my God. But the dog was a beautiful pit bull, and it kept looking at me and wagging his tail, and I was like, that's cool. I'm okay with that. And then as soon as that room to pass, I passed, but you know. I'm in a Tacoma. It doesn't go very fast. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Where are we at? Where are we at on the show? I don't know. Do I end early? 
You uh, got your listener got questions. We got, we got a couple of questions. Oh my goodness. I totally thought I was like drawing this one out. No, no, we wait, got no, we got questions. Also just going to throw out there just so it's, it's for the, since we're the publication of record and podcasting for motorcycles, Dainese acquired by the Carlisle group for $630 million. Damn million dollars. It's a lot. That is a lot. Could be good. I think it's good. I'm just going to say that. I think it's good. I'm Somebody, not going to dive uh, in further. I just think it's good. Um, listen, these Q&As also have dad jokes in the background. <sighs> I didn't write them, Jensen. No, but you solicited them. That's fair. And I still want more, so keep them coming. Uh, all, right, all right, so this one uh, by John. Mm. John. Mm. This is his last name. Mm. John uh, says that he agrees that the original Multistrada 1200 was a sport bike in touring bike clothes. Do we think that the Ducati ST4S was the original sport bike in touring bike clothes? Mm, I don't know. I don't, I, mean, know, I don't know when the ST4S come out. Early 2000s? Late night? Yeah. Because like my, my, for me. What were you, actually here it is. So what would you guys consider the granddaddy of sport bikes in touring bike clothes? I don't know. I, I, I'm reluctant to agree with John just because um, I don't think the the ST influence the market at all i don't think it was a big enough seller i don't think it was a big enough thing that that was like every other brands were like oh yeah we got to do that well, but i remember like in the early 2000s <clears throat> the whole sort of european sport touring thing became a thing i remember when like aprilia released the futura and you know ducati had the st models and there was this whole hoopla about hey you get to have this sort of superbike-esque engine but in a much more humane setting where you can actually ride the damn thing on a daily basis. For me, the OG. So like, let me, here's the analogy. The iPod was not the first MP3 player, right? It was not the first portable MP3, but player. it was the most influential one. But when the iPod came out, that's what created a market for portable MP3 players, right? Now it was a thing. I think, you can make a lot of arguments that the ST was one of the first, if not the first. Go back in time and, and figure that out. I, I don't know. It's a little bit before my interest of motorcycling, so I don't have a good barometer on it. When I look back on the bikes that define a category, that isn't one of them. The bike I come to is the Yamaha FC1. That, for me, is like the, the quintessential sport tourer that when I close my eyes and think of early really? 2000 sport tour is a guy on an FZ1. Yeah, see, I disagree with you. Okay, go for it. Because the FZ1 to me was always sort of like a a more naked R1. It was a more comfortable R1, but I never looked at it as a sport touring because it didn't have bags. It didn't have the bigger windscreen. It had a bigger screen. It did, but it wasn't People like... put bags on it. You could, but it didn't come with it. So... I think it's interesting to have. Oh, damn right, it. because to me, sport this, this touring. This gets us down a good rabbit hole. This is a good I rabbit think hole. So. I like this. To me, I think sport touring yeah. should have just Define originally it. been come with bags. Like, it is a, it, if you're going to put the word touring on there, you should have bags on it. Fair. So here's the thing I'm going to name a bike Yamaha FJR 1300. Whatever, whatever. But that's not the, that's that's a that's but, a newer but, bike than the ST. Yeah, but a lot of people call that a sport tour. And they are wrong. BMW 
are whatever RT for a long time. And to this day, still people call it a sport tour. And I would still argue with them. They're wrong. So, so that's the thing. It's like, what are we calling a sport tour? Because, because for me, a lighter, more nimble touring bike to me is a sport touring, like a Kawasaki concourse, even though it's fast, is not a sport touring bike. I right. want to say there was a point in time when the Hayabusa was listed as a sport tour on Suzuki's website. If it had bags on it, they would have been fucking correct. Corbin makes a, a plastic yeah, shape bags. It. It's hideous. Really? I actually kind of like them. It, it actually, I do appreciate that it kind of... Uh, it's a very Corbin thing to it do. It resonates the the bubble of the Hayabusa speed hump. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate what they've done there. In Central Florida, I've seen a handful of those. And I, every time I was like, I want to talk shit about it, but I get it. Um. Here's the thing to me, this is my definition and I'm sure it's open for interpretation because we've talked about this, about the whole idea of like, what is an adventure bike and what is a this bike and what is that bike? There's a Venn diagram, I am sure. There's but, not a, I don't know about a Venn diagram. There's a spectrum. There's a spectrum. Okay, yeah. that's even better. Um, to me, I think the sport touring bike ought to be lighter than a full-on touring bike. And I think bikes like the RRTs, the FJRs, the concourses, they're behemoths. And so they are more touring. Can you ride them sporty? Absolutely. As I like to say, any pizza is a fucking personal pizza if you're hungry enough. I used to have a Concourse 14, and I could basically drag a knee on that bike, but it did not make it a sport touring bike. I think a lot of people would have said a Concourse 14 is a sport tour. It's the sportier especially, version of what it... Especially when that bike first came out. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to rebuttal okay. and take us down a completely different route. Okay. You and I have talked about before how touring, because you you said like sport touring versus touring, and I almost wanted to interject and be like, well, what's a touring bike? <laughs> but we've had this conversation of what is a touring bike, and you right. can't see the rabbit ears I'm doing, the quote, the quote marks, <laughs> quotation marks, with the quote mark, not, <laughs> liquid hot magma. Uh, <laughs> just none of those accents and voice impersonations are any good. <laughs> it's perfect. I can, uh, I can envision it. <laughs> freaking laser beams uh what's a touring bike in the american market is not what a touring bike is in the european market and there is a there is a vast misunderstanding of that word between right. those demographics i would argue that the ducati st was the first successful european style sport touring motorcycle and therefore the yamaha FZ1 was the first Japanese, maybe let's say more mainstream uh, interpretation of that European style of of what sport touring is. Because like sport touring to me is like like for me like the the quintessential sport touring bike right now for me is a Super Duke GT. Right. It is a sport bike that has bags and a windscreen, which I agree with. And it weighs I don't know what it weighs off the top of my head, but it's probably like 500 pounds or less. Right. I don't think you can have a sport touring bike that weighs more than 500. I know people disagree with that comment and that, and their definition is going to be different. But right, that's their interpretation where, those it. are the lines that I draw for myself. Yeah. I, I think, I think that a touring bike is a bike that has bags on it. Now, whether it's sporty or cruisery or ad adventury, I think that's where you can have different spectrums, but I think a touring bike to okay. me has bags on it and a screen, like can, so there's it, like touring as a category, right? And then there's like touring as a segment, and like that could be like sport touring, cruiser touring, bagger touring, adventure touring, adventure touring. Okay, I see what you're doing, here. right? 
like big then, T, little T, kind right? Of exactly. Because then you could say, "I have a touring bike." Well, what is it? It's a Harley, uh, no, you know, whatever the fuck glide. Fuck me glide. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, what kind of sport touring bike do you have? Well, I have a Multistrada. What kind of sport touring do you bike to have? I have a fucking Tenere with bags on it. So, like, those those are all in their rights a touring bike. But when someone says sport touring to me, the word sport for me indicates something that handles easily and well. And so, another relativistic measurement, though. It is absolutely. Because I know I, I can think of brands that like you get on their bikes like this is our best handling bike, and you're like this thing handles like a turtle. Yeah, yeah, Harley calls their Road Glide their best handling bike. Sure, I think if it's, but can you then go chasing a a fucking twenty year old Aprilia Futura on your bagger? Oh, interesting. I like the, the Futura. Great sport touring reference, right? When did that come out? Oh, fuck, for early early two thousands, two thousand two three. Yeah. But like that bike, honestly, as weird as that bike was, that was to me a like aha moment in sport touring because it was like, oh, wow, holy shit. It's not a fuck ton heavier than a Mille. And it has basically the same heartbeat as that. Mm -hmm. But you're sitting more upright. It's got better wind protection. Mm -hmm. It's got these two nifty bags behind you. And that to me is a sport. Tour. Like, a, like a, a Honda VFR is a sport touring bike if it has bags on it. Well, that's that for me. The VFR is a fascinating motorcycle because that bike started out as a sport bike, as right. like a super bike, right? And then, for some reason, Honda decided to like always debut its like newest technology on that platform. Yeah, and it slowly took that bike from literally crotch rocket to sport touring category. But then it went like super heavy duty, like twelve hundred, and everybody's like, "Stop it!" Mm, yeah, put the that VF, away. The VFR twelve hundred, bring, bring the eight hundred is, is very much a sport tourer in my mind. But see, to me, it's more touring. I think it left the sport behind. And became I, I rode one. I was like, I missed the eight hundred. That was a the the eight hundred was a bike I wanted to take to the tail of the dragon and like ride it like an yeah, idiot. So you had to do the valve job. All right. But then the twelve hundred is like just so much longer, heavier, more cumbersome shaft driven and it just kind of acted weird it didn't act weird it was it was more touring bias because it was heavier so it was more of like a luxury touring bike it's no goldwing it was somewhere between a goldwing and a vfr 1800 is what bikes like the fjr 1200 are, are they 1300s now whatever the fjrs yep. the concourses which don't change but every 20 years and the you know vfr 1200 type bikes fit into because they're heavier they're 600 plus pounds they have way more wind protection you are there's a lot more luxury items there they're definitely their primary objective is to get you from point a to point b the long way but like the long way didn't necessarily mean the twistiest most fun backcountry roadway it meant like you can get on the highway and just pound the miles away so i think for me that the definition of a sport touring bike is Probably something like what you said. Should be in the 500-ish pounds, way more nimble, probably a shorter wheelbase. And I think I would agree with you. The current iteration of the KTM 1290 GT. Super Duke GT. Super Duke GT is one of the most quintessential sport touring bikes. Even though it kind of looks like one of those adventure bikes, it's still got 17-inch wheels on there. It's, it's got a, still like a 32-inch seat height, 17-inch right. wheels. And any yeah. one of us who's ever ridden it goes, holy fuck, that is a, that is a fast bike that I don't that's mind. A, like, I could drag knee on that bike a fast all day. Yeah. But be comfortable about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the new Pikes Peak, a little more in that range. The Pikes Peak is just like the GT in my mind. It's just more ADV. 
It's just the looks ish. Of it. Yeah, yeah, it's got more of an ADP. I think look. that style is the current iteration of a sport. I just yeah. think that's the style everyone agrees what, what with. I, what I would call an adventure sport. Yeah. But yeah, you ride the Pikes Peak, and we said the slash shot. You ride the Pikes Peak. That is a super bike. Yeah. Dressed up as an adventure bike. Like Aprilia's uh, non factory Tuono, the new, new yeah. one. Yeah. Is really treading on sport touring. They're cat. trying to push it that way. They really are. I don't think they have the resources or the platform to be able to be like, oh, yeah, we can make this a sport touring bike. But it's like, well, we figured out how to put a bigger windscreen right on it. there. And we're going to start offering some like soft bags, it's maybe. So and we'll put like a better seat on it. Right. And, and like the Ducati uh, Super Sport, the current iteration. Yeah. For an extra, I think like thousand bucks, you can put bags on it and it becomes like a. I tell everyone at the shop, I'm like, this is a light duty touring bike. Like you can go touring on it, but boy, oh boy, is it fun on the twisties. I call that a sport, uh, sport tour. Yeah, yeah. So I think to answer John's question, yeah, the ST four and bikes like the Futura, those really were. And I think it was the Europeans that were like, "No, this is how it should be. We want a bike that has the heartbeat of our sport bike, but also you can sit upright on there mm-hmm. and you know ride longer distances." Which I remember in the early two thousands, I was like, "Ducati, that's really cute because you need a valve adjustment every like five minutes." What is that? <laughs> It was a 996 motor, I think, wasn't it? Originally? No, 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 no. It was a... um, It's an air-cooled motor. I think the SD3 had a different motor. I think the SD4 had the 996. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Like, I remember I was pushing one. We had one at the shop that we just uh, did a little bit of uh, work on. It came in for its, you know, valve and belts and all that stuff. And I remember pushing it from the back of the shop to the service department uh, on closing. And the thing weighs nothing. Like, it made a, a, a multi-strata feel like a behemoth. The ST2 is a 994 Desmo Douay air-cooled. But the SD, what is the SD4? Desmo Quattro motor-derived from the 916. You're yeah. correct. You were correct. Not you. Nine sixteen. Nine sixteen. Sorry, that's what not I. Not nine yeah, six. Yeah, nine sixteen. Yeah, it just has the most beautiful sound. Wait, what? In late two thousand one, the ST fours, ST four S model, the nine nine six was added. The ST four S. ST four S. Yeah, I think that had Olins on it too. That bike, I think, to me, is still one of the most iconic sport touring bikes. But again. I remember back then being like, God dang it, this is going to need a valve adjustment like every... All the goddamn time. All the time. And it's you could tell it's just designed to be an upright touring bike that you're supposed to drive all over Europe and see all the beautiful sights. But every time, like every country, you have to pull over and do a valve adjustment, basically. But the idea was there. And then, which is why Aprilia was like, that's cute, Ducati. Check out this Futura. It'll do that. And it's a Rotax motor and doesn't need a valve adjustment, but every like God knows how many thousand miles. Sure, is definitely like a niche, like oh, super. Talk about a polarizing about, design. Forgotten from time. I wish they would bring some. I actually wish Aprilia would bring that, bring back that name and make like a cool sport touring bike based on maybe like a, a, a mm. Tuona, a V4, yeah, a Futura V4. That would be hot. I keep saying it. The future's bright. Aprilia sets. There's up. so many cool bikes Aprilia could be making. So many cool bikes, but they're just not. Anyways, that was a fun rabbit hole with this question. I thought it was a good That was one. good. Yeah. I liked it. He also gave he, us a dad joke. You ready for it? Nope. Come on. Nope. Don't edit nope. it out, Johnson. Nope. Okay. <laughs> I actually laughed at this one. What kind of boomerang doesn't come back when you throw it, after you throw it? A stick. Come on, man. I thought it was funny. 
Do you want to do more Q and A's or is that one? Let's good do one more. Well, we one got more? To, I think we have time for one more. Okay. Pick a um, that was kind of a long one. This is from uh, Sean from Austin, who actually always gives me really great dad jokes. By the way, uh, Sean's uh, okay. Price no object. Is the Pike Speak the ultimate do everything bike? This is part one. Yeah. Price no object. Yeah. Sure. Really? I don't agree. Price no object? Yeah. It's yeah. Not, sure. It's not do everything. It's got 17 inch wheels. All, it does all the things I want it to do. I mean, yeah, I guess. Okay. Fair enough. If you're a road only person, fuck yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's okay. the problem is there is a price tag and it's way too high for what that should be. I still wish they put the Street Fighter motor in it. <laughs> Rumors this week were KTM coming out with a 17-inch version of the Adventure. It'll be like an SMT. Oh. That is directly going to fuck up Pike's Peak dreams Ooh. because that is that is that is what the Pike's Peak is for probably 10, 15 grand less. Oh, yeah. Half the price. Either. Yeah. It's gonna I, look wonder, I don't know. You think it'll be half terrifying. the price? I think it'll be a $19,000, $20,000 wreck. Yeah. I, I was going to say twenty two, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. It won't come to the United States. <laughs> okay, so so what is the price? Is an object do everything bike to you? That's his second question. Wait, actually, before I let you answer that, you said yes. I said no. Yeah, why? Because it's got 17 inch wheels on it. I can't okay. do everything on that. So there. then multi star to V4S. Hey, there it is. Oh it's God. in my garage already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great bike. Although, but you and I have always said this, and I actually do agree with you, even though I, I live, breathe Ducatis. That 1290S is one of the best bikes ever made, I think. Love it. I think if. If uh, in fact, it may even answer a second question. I think price is an object. That would be a phenomenal do everything bike. Yeah, because that's the second question. If price is an object, what is your favorite do everything bike? Interesting question. What are the everything's I want to do? Um, I mean, I'm assuming we're talking adventure touring, right? Because you can do everything on one of those. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this in in the context of like I can only put one bike in my garage. That price, that's, price is an object, and like, like, and that's what I'm saying. I can only put like I'm right. gonna go out there. I'm gonna spend my hard earned blogging podcasting dollars. I'm gonna put a bike. Wait, in you my get garage. money for podcasting? What the fuck? <laughs> the other podcast makes money. This one doesn't. Uh, <laughs> God damn it! I thought we were the cool ones. I think we actually might have a sponsor coming up soon. Ooh, yeah, we'll see. Good. Stop stop using Dunlop Q, Q4. You're killing me. Well, give me a different tire to try, <laughs> motherfucker. I'm working on it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I go out. I'm going to buy a bike. I can only put one in my garage. I would love, because I have a Pikes Peak for the next 12 hours. I still have a Pikes Peak in my garage in California. They're picking up tomorrow morning? They're picking up tomorrow morning. It's literally, awesome. literally. At 12 9 hours. They're literally in like 940. <laughs> They're picking that thing up. They said between nine so and ten. Specific. Um, it has to go to Austin, apparently. And I, I would to... be totally happy if that was in my garage. I just don't want to spend thirty thousand dollars on it. Right. It's not worth thirty thousand dollars to me. It's not. I love it, but it's not. What I would rather buy that would do pretty much all the things would be a Super Duke DG. Can't buy one in the U.S. Not a no. not a new model. <laughs> God damn it. Which is a little stupid. Would I put a KTM 1290S in there? No. I would put a Multistrada V4S in yeah. before I got the KTM. I like the multi, the multi better than the KTM. I love that KTM. Don't fault anyone for getting it. Love it. Yep. But for me, the multi has the fit and finish that I'm looking for. I'm willing to spend the extra whatever, how many thousand dollars it is for it. <laughs> what I'm trying to think is 
would I get something like an 890 Adventure R and like do all the things on that? Would I get something different, like a Street Fighter, a Tawono? I think I think you're I think, thinking. I think you're thinking too big. I think I'm thinking too big. I think at the end of the day, I'm putting a Super Duke GT. That's my answer. Final 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 Call. That's a that's a good one, but you can't get one currently. I'm well, I'm gonna always think, a guy. I'm gonna think a little bit smaller because if money's an object, right? I'm thinking budget. I'm thinking of the stuff I want to be able to do after I buy the bike. But I'm thinking, okay, money's an object, but like one bike strategy. I'm willing to spend twenty grand on a one bike strategy. You start getting me into like a two, three bike strategy, then I'm looking like, okay, well, like what ten thousand other bikes are out there? That's fair, but I'm also trying to think from the terms of like the average uh, person's paycheck, right? And I, and I don't want to discount a bike like, let's say, a V-Strom. Although not the sexiest <sighs> machine on the planet, fucking capable. And especially if, for the price especially for the price so if you have if you have a tight budget and you need a bike to do all the things with i think a v-strom even the bigger v-strom is still a lot of money for the or a lot of bike for the money rather um but the little 650 has just been fucking kicking ass from the minute it came out it was never the prettiest thing on the planet but it sure as fuck got the job done over and over and over again and that's just one of the bikes, right? There's other bikes in that category in that price range that can do stuff like that. Okay. Okay. But you see, like, this is this is how I know you're wrong. Because that's not what you did in your garage. Oh no, I know about my garage. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like like for me, when you say like money, money is an object, money is the issue, which one would you pick? That for me is very much like, what are you gonna buy if your money? What would you buy if your money? Because oh, yeah. that's Our- because that's you making that determination of cost versus marginal improvement of performance because if we're just talking like what's your best bang for the buck right yeah you just mentioned it or it's like a klr 650 or or a yamaha t7 or yeah we already know what my money ktm 390 do because any motorcycle gets you automatically like a b in the happiness range absolutely and if you can get a B by spending four grand, there's just no ROI to get you into an A unless right. it's like forty five hundred bucks. Well, I'm just trying to think of in terms of like if I could only afford less than a ten thousand dollar motorcycle, money okay. being an object, quote unquote, then I, there's a lot of options. And I think you actually fucking hit that nail on the head so well. Any bike any you bike. buy is going to be the right answer for you. Right? What's, the, what's the answer? Any bike. A get bike. the bike a that bike. makes you happy. And if your budget says. 10 grand or less then find something because you'll you're gonna have a good time with it i was fortunate enough to say cool my budget says the one bike that i want to kind of rule them all is that multi-strata it's been the case for 10 years now holy shit i've had a multi-strata for 10 years now it just dawned on me multis do a lot of things really well very well and it's funny because they sort of ducati set the precedent with that bike you know when the first goofy 1000 version came out but when the 1200 came out, that thing was kind of like, hey, here's a kick in the pants that can kind of do everything as far as a 17-inch wheel is going to allow you to do. And when they introduced the 19-inch front wheel, they were like, no, this can really actually do everything at this point. Like pretty much. Pretty much. Right? So Pretty much. No, what, I agree. I, I think the the 19-inch multi is so capable on road, you really don't miss the 17-inch too much unless really. you're going to go on a racetrack. Right. Which... I'm more likely to do than going down a gravel road. That's fair. That with is a bike, with a bike like that. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if, as far as my money was concerned, yeah, fuck yeah, that Multistrada all day long, without a doubt. I'm with you. I think it's one of the best bikes out there. It's interesting. <clears throat> so we went to this this Porsche dealer today and made all sorts of bad life decisions. Oh, man, they're so pretty. Um, you're just like literally looking at like, there's like four cars, right? And you walk in, this is Porsche Beaverton. You walk right in, you're like, that's a million dollar house. Oh, seriously. That's a million dollar house. They're, each one of those cars averaged around $270,000. Yeah. There was four of them next there's to each other. Yeah. Never mind the two hundred eighty thousand dollar turbo that was behind us. Yeah, yeah. So you're sitting there like there's like one and a half million dollars of Jesus. car right there, which is just ridiculous. But it was interesting that they were talking about how the top sellers are the the Macan and the Cayenne. Cayenne, yeah. And and they're like SUVs rule the roost, and that's right. that's the case of the American uh, vehicle landscape. You can kind of take trucks out of it because the F one fifty, I think, is the best selling. Tr- Oh, yeah. car or vehicle in america people want the thing that can do everything yeah, but that's that's what i'm getting right. to and that's the interesting thing that has kind of happened in the automobile space where it's like a car like the cayenne a car like most suv most suv crossovers like, like it's not uncommon for them to have like 300 horsepower yeah 400 horsepower right. like that's not crazy so you get that like i'm in a fast car that goes fast and does the things oh i can haul the whole family and <laughs> right. their luggage and it's got all wheel drive so i can go to the mountain but it's comfortable i can go drive it to dinner because it's still a car chassis and blah 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 blah. like it just does everything really well and that for me is what i think the adventure bike market has turned into i agree where it's like yeah you have a 180 horsepower motorcycle that weighs less than 500 pounds it's gonna be fast it's got a big windscreen and and panniers you can put shit in it right it's got a comfortable seat and it's upright. You can go pretty far on it. Like, what do you want to do with it? Like, I'm sitting here talking about like how I would have a Pikes Peak over a V4S because I would take it to the racetrack. I would 100% mm-hmm. do track days in that all day long. Totally. You would take your, and you do, you take your multi-shot down, you know, dirt trails just and go dirt biking, <laughs> dirt biking things with it because most of the dirt biking things it can do. Yeah. Um. So that's like an interesting, like, kind of like spot where the motorcycle industry is the motorcycle industry suddenly realized why the automotive industry is doing so so well in that crossover suv platform like ah fuck if you build the one thing that can do everything that's the one they want and we as motorcyclists and i and i will hold true to this still we want if we can afford it to have a bike for each occasion i have four fucking motorcycles right now I'm trying not to have four motorcycles. <laughs> it's hard though, because we, because they're more. Think about the price of the cheapest Porsche we saw today, and how many bikes you can have for that price. That's yeah, a lot, right? So, like, even in the crazy realm of Ducatis and MV Agustas, which are very expensive, they're still fucking nothing compared to cars like that. But we get such thrills out of them. So, which is why I always applaud when you say any bike's at least a B, BB plus bike, right? Even if your bike is a Rebel 300, you're probably grinning from ear to ear when you're riding the damn thing. You yeah. Don't, no. You don't have to go buy a $150,000 GT4 Porsche. I had a roommate in college that had a, he had a Honda. Shit, was it a Honda Rebel or a Honda Hawk? It was a piece oh, of. Oh, man. Remember the Hawk 650s? I used to love those It things. was a piece of junk cruiser type bike. And I remember riding it and like it was a fucking death trap because this brakes didn't work and it was poorly maintained and all this stuff. But it was still a motorcycle. It was still like riding a motorcycle in the beautiful sunshine of Santa Barbara yeah. doesn't suck. Nope. 
even when like you're worried that the wheels are just going to fall right <laughs> off the axle, it doesn't suck. Like until you die, <laughs> until it like does something life threatening, it doesn't suck. Nope. Not at all. So. Not even a little. That's that's the beauty of this little lifestyle of ours. And that's the reason we keep trying to have more and more and more. But like I literally have a dirt bike, a naked bike, a super bike, and a do-it-all bike. And you know the one I ride the most is the do-it-all bike, but I sure as fuck love those other three a lot. Uh, and I feel super privileged that I get to have that, right? Like if I could have a fifth bike, I sure as fuck would. Do I need one? Nope. The word need is really interestingly used in our little world but i want one it's funny like when i was riding my multistrada this last weekend and being an idiot on it with knobby tires i was thinking man the idea of getting rid of this thing for the desert x makes me sad uh, i want the desert x but i also want this fucking bike can't you just take like a long-term loan demo <laughs> keep talking to un uncle chinnick about it but he just keeps giggling and walking away that's the correct response <laughs> all right i think that's all we got for tonight shaheen all right uh tell people about our social media uh we got the social medias we got the instagram at brap talk we got the twitter we at we brap talk we got the emails please do send emails i really the dig email, reading them the email the email the email what what the email uh that's a little strong bad for those of you who are not cultured enough to know about homestyle 10 <laughs> yeah if uh, you recognize that you're a, you're, you're a gen Xer. <laughs> <laughs> um we brap talk at gmail.com email us with your dad jokes email us with your q and a email us with your favorite cookie recipe i don't know i might bake something uh, actually, that'd be great. If you send us your favorite cookie recipe and it's a good recipe, like don't give me some bullshit, I'll bake it and then I'll take pictures of it and put it up and give you credit. Yeah, you know, it's all good. Make good choices. Safety third. Get the fuck out of here. Good talk. See you out there. Bye-bye. She's Edit very good out. at... Edit that out, Jensen Beeler. I thought that was a technicality about a dentist. Yeah, there's something about... Oral surgeon. There's a joke in here somewhere about oral surgery. <laughs> I'm just going to move along.